this time. And uh, if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to... uh, Sometimes there are um, different tactics that preachers might use to keep everybody awake. And this morning, the tactic I'm going to use is you're going to move in the Bible or on a phone or whatever it is to multiple different things. So if you start to get drowsy, a great way to battle that is you'll be flipping to the next thing. And if you don't have a Bible or a phone and somebody near you does... um, you can be a nosy neighbor and lean over them and uh, look on theirs. Uh, so encourage you to do that this morning. Uh, if you have that Bible, if you look in the middle of the Bible to Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is where we will start. We're going to look at a number of passages this morning as we talk about this uh, very long word, incomprehensibility. The incomprehensibility of God. And so we're in this series on lifting our low view of God using kind of uh, the book Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer as kind of a a springboard. He talks about the low view of God. And when we have a lower view of God, kind of less than what he is, that's where sin comes, that's where apathy comes, that's where uh, a loss of awe and wonder of who God is, Uh, that's where fervency and prayer Um, That's where a lack of passion for worship, that's where it comes from. If we have a view of God that's low, and he is here, he's high and exalted and lifted up, but if our view of him is low, um, then we're going to be kind of like stuck. And Tozer's purpose in writing the book is he's saying that over the last 60, 70 years, the church has kind of gone in this low view of God, and um, we're paying some of those consequences today. So we want to lift up our view of God. Last week we talked about this idea of are you willing to look again? Even if it means that we get our view of God kind of disrupted, torn down to be rebuilt again, uh, there are these seasons of life. Um, Every uh, young adult to adult goes through up to two different times of just kind of having that view of God kind of knocked down in order to be rebuilt back up so there's a fuller view of who he is. And so are you willing? And so today... Uh, we look at that. I, um, ask for your forgiveness in advance if I have a little of a coughing fit here and there and battling coming off of a cold. So if I do, just bear with me. We'll get through it this morning. But the incomprehensibility of God. What do we mean by the incomprehensibility of God? R.C. Sproul, a theologian, pastor, who uh, recently passed away from Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Uh, but he says this about the incomprehensibility of God. He says, by using the term incomprehensible, they, and in his writing of uh, previous to this part of the the passage that he was writing, he's talking about theologians. uh, They are not referring to something we are unable to comprehend or know at all. Theologically speaking, to say God is incomprehensible is not to say that God is utterly unknowable, It is to say that none of us can comprehend God exhaustively. So hear that. Incomprehensible doesn't mean uh, we can't know God because if that was the case, if he was incomprehensible, we might as well just pack up and head out of here because there wouldn't be any reason to stick around if he wasn't knowable. If we couldn't know God, what are we here for? Well, he is knowable. We're going to look in that, but not exhaustively. We cannot understand and know the fullness of God, the incomprehensibility of God, says that he is bigger than what we can ever begin 
to fully get our minds around. And here's why. In your sermon notes, this is less of a point one, point two principle kind of thing, and just kind of a journey through this discussion together. Here's why we cannot fully comprehend God exhaustively. It is because of this concept of the finite versus the infinite. Finite versus the infinite. The finite, when we talk about finite, we're talking about something that is limited. And in this discussion, we as human beings are finite. We are created beings. We have limits on our time. There was a day and a moment that we were born that we did not exist, that we came into existence at birth. And there will be a time, whether unless Jesus would come back first, there will be a time when every single one of us will leave this earth through death. The scriptures say, though, that the Lord has put eternity in the hearts of men, that either heaven or hell will be our eternal destiny. But there was a time that we did not exist, and now we do exist, but there will be a time here on earth where in our humanity we will cease to exist and transition into eternity, either heaven or hell, based on our trust and our faith in Christ or not. So we are finite, limited, limit on time, limit on on space and place. You and I can only be in one place at one time. I know we would rather be able to multitask in such a way. I wish I could be in two or three places at one time. And if you're in the season of life that our family is, it would be great if we could be in two or three places at one time. But we're finite. We can't. And we're finite in our knowledge. We're limited in our knowledge. No matter how many degrees you have, no matter how much schooling you've gone through, no matter how many years you've been on this earth and learned and learned and learned and learned, there is a limit to the amount of knowledge that you can have. Human beings, we are finite. But God is infinite, which means he is unlimited. He's unlimited in time. He is eternal, which means he has no beginning and he has no end. Think about that for a while. Everything we know has a beginning and an end. But God has no beginning. He's always been and he always will be. He's unlimited in time. He's unlimited in space. Scripture says that the earth, that the, the Lord fills the earth. He is everywhere present. It's one of the attributes of God we will look at in this series. The omnipresence of God's theologians say he is everywhere present. He can be in every space at every time. And he is unlimited in knowledge. He knows everything. When we think we've discovered something, God's just like, yeah, I knew that already. I created it. I caused it to be that way. You're discovering it. God has no limits. He's the creator. He has always been, and he will always be. R.C. Sproul kind of talks about this whole idea of the finite versus the infinite and talking about the fact that the reason we sometimes struggle with the the incomprehensibility of God is because God, and this is still going to be a terrible illustration, and this is, this is what illustrations are like. No matter what, when we try to, you'll see, try to determine God, according to our understanding, it, it's still going to fall apart. You're going to be like, that's, yeah, that's close. Not even. But imagine God and us. And see, we have God who is in the realm of the infinite. And you and I, 
who are in the realm of the finite. And the incomprehensibility of God says that we are on different levels. We are in different realms. The infinite is above the finite. But what we try to do sometimes, and this is where we get into trouble, we try to bring God down to our level. We try to bring him down to our level. And when we bring him down to our level, that's where things like idolatry begin to happen. That's where lack of wonder begins to happen. That's where disobedience becomes just a, eh, who cares if I do that? God probably doesn't really care or he'll forgive me even if I do. That's where lack of passion, lack of fervency for prayer, lack of hunger for God take place because what we have done is we have taken the infinite and we have brought him down to the finite. We've tried to describe him in our ways. And whenever we try to describe and try to say this is God, this is where things like humanism come in, where, you know, we can figure anything out. We know the answers to everything. Where science becomes, rather than the discovery of what God has already set out, it becomes the thing by which we try to fix the world. So, infinite and finite. We need to keep these in their right place. And the incomprehensibility of God says God is infinite and we are finite. So what do we do with this? What do we do with the fact that we are in these different realms? Well, thankfully, instead of us trying to elevate ourselves and get God on our level, God has revealed himself to us on his terms. See, when the finite tries to say, God, this is how you're going to do it, this is where we get in trouble. But when God says, I am infinite, you are finite, let me reveal myself to you, this is where we begin to understand and begin to have knowledge of God. And so we want to talk for a few moments about how God has revealed himself, the revelation of the infinite. God has revealed himself in three primary ways to us. The first is what Bible teachers call general revelation. And if you're in Psalm 19, here is what David says. Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. He says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the earth. In the heavens, he's pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. God has revealed himself generally to us in creation. The reality that all of this is here and we are here says all of this has come from somewhere. And God is saying, I am the creator of all things. I am the one who has out of nothing, Genesis tells us, out of nothing he spoke and all 
of creation came into existence. He has the power to create. And all of creation is screaming at us, if we will pause to listen and to look, that there is a God. There is a God. And he is in heaven. He is the infinite one. However, it is insufficient for us to understand fully who he is and his nature and his character. It's insufficient for us to be able to know how to be made right with God. Though, Paul says in Romans 1, creation is sufficient enough to make us without excuse that there is a God. So do you feel the tension there? Creation generally says God is here, God speaks, and the heavens declare the glory of God. But it's not enough to be able to bring us into right relationship with God and understand who he is, though it is enough that none of us should say, God, I had no idea that you were around. So thankfully, God didn't just create everything and say, okay, I'm here, figure it out. He went a step further to what's called special revelation. And so if you're in the book of Psalm, go all the way to the, near to the back of the New Testament to the book of Hebrews. To Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Hebrews 1, verse 1. The author says this, In the past... God spoke to our forefathers, and this is to the Jewish people, the Israelites. God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. God went beyond just creation and generally speaking through creation to now through human beings, the prophets, speaking to God's people, speaking to humanity through his prophets and ultimately through what we have today as the scriptures. Through the revelation of scripture, through the revelation of the prophets, we understand things like how things came into existence in in Genesis, how God created, what God created. We understand things like why the world is broken. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin and and in comes into this perfect world, brokenness and death and struggle and alienation from human beings and from God. We understand what God's intention was for the world, that human beings would fill the earth, rule over it, subdue it, be in charge, and bring the kingdom of God to earth. He gives us understanding of what his character is like, that he is holy, that he is just, that he is righteous, that he is trustworthy and faithful, that he is a promise maker and a promise keeper, but also he is a loving God. He is merciful He is compassionate. He is slow to anger. He is faithful to his word and to generation after generation after generation of those who love him and are faithful to him. He tells us how of what he was going to do to bring salvation into the world through Jesus and how Jesus came to bring salvation through his life and his death and his resurrection. He gave us special revelation to help us to understand how we live in relationship with this God. And he gives us special revelation to understand how the world is going to end. The scriptures and special revelation give us further understanding, further revelation of who God is. 
so that the incomprehensible God becomes knowable. But it becomes knowable based on what he says of himself and what he does. It's him coming to us, not us trying to lift ourselves up. Lastly, the third way that he has spoken is through the Son, through Jesus. In Hebrews 1, verses 2 to 3, it says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so, lastly, he speaks through Jesus, who the author is saying is fully God. He's the exact representation of God. He is the radiance of God's glory. But if you read through the rest of the book of Hebrews, he goes then to great pains to say how Jesus became fully human at the same time as fully God, so that salvation would be able to be paid for. So that by his death, so that by his blood shed, there would be salvation paid for. Jesus shows us in human flesh what God is like. Though limited because of humanity being taken, you see, Jesus would be fully present everywhere, just like the Father. Jesus would know all things. Jesus would have all power. The one through whom all things were created, Hebrews says. But yet he humbled himself and limited himself, becoming dependent on learning knowledge again. (laughs) Becoming dependent on being in one place at one time. Giving up all of his power to be able to be dependent upon the power of God in his humanity. Jesus is the revelation of God. God has revealed himself to us. Generally through creation, specially through scripture and in the person of Jesus Christ. These are the means by which the infinite God has chosen to reveal himself to us. Still, this revelation is limited because the infinite is communicating to the finite through finite material. So let me try to break this down for you. I know some of this is like, oh boy, this feels like we're sitting in a class. And if that is the case, just bear with it. We'll try to make this, bring it back to some very practical stuff in a moment. So how does a God who using special general revelation and special revelation and Jesus How does he still, though limited in being able to show us the fullness of who he is, how does he communicate? A.W. Tozer makes the point that he does it through the use of like. He does it through the use of like. The infinite is revealed with like. Here's what I mean. If you find the book, go back to the book of Psalm again and make your way towards the back. You'll go to Psalm, Proverbs, then there'll be some smaller books, Ecclesiastes, Song of Song, and you'll come to Isaiah, Jeremiah, then Lamentations, and then Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. What do we mean when we say that the infinite is revealed with like? In Ezekiel chapter 1, 
verse 2 and 3, we see the infinite revealed with like in the glory of God being revealed to Ezekiel. It says, on the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was upon him. So let me just see if, you, if you're tracking enough here. In verses 2 through 3, which of these three kinds of revelation would you say God is using with Ezekiel? General revelation, special revelation, or Jesus? It's okay. Somebody be the bold one. Try it. General, special, or Jesus? Special. Okay, I heard special. That is the right answer. Ding, ding, ding. And here's why. What does it say? Look at verse 3. The what? The word of the Lord came. God spoke. God spoke to a person revealing specially through word who he was and through vision. And he begins to show what he is like in his glory. If you would look down all of this, you can read it. It's, it, it you may read it and go, this is wacky stuff. You have like windstorms. You have like people that look like they're glowing like metal and they're kind of have faces like oxes and faces like lions and faces like man and faces like eagle all in one and there's wheels with eyes in it and there's all kinds of stuff and and you look at it and you're like oh this is like this is wacky stuff why would anybody want to read this and verse 25 says this then there came a voice this this is a this is what ezekiel is seeing of the glory of god he says then there came a voice from above the expanse over the heads over their heads as they stood with lowered wings by the way they also have wings and stuff like that i mean This is really sci-fi kind of stuff. In 26, above the expanse of their heads was what looked like. Notice how many times, check this for how many times you hear this word. That looked like a throne of sapphire. And high above on the throne was a figure like like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. Now, you may read this and be like, I don't get this, this is weird. Okay, can we be honest? When you read that, how many of you would say, that sounds like some wacky stuff? I'm writing, I'm putting my hand up because I'm the first one that's like, this is weird. You want to know why this is weird? Because we are looking at this through our finite eyes. Do we see anything like this on earth? No. Do we see heads of eagles? Yeah. Do we see... Heads of lions and, yeah. Do we see heads of oxen? Do we see creatures with wings? Do we see wheels around? Do we see eyes? Do we see all these kind of, do we see things like rainbows and fire? We see all of these things, but throw them all together in this concoction and you're like, this is wacky. 
You know why? Because we're looking at it from finite eyes, from our understanding of the infinite. When instead, what we should be doing is saying, this is what heaven is like, this is what God is like, so all the things in our finite, oh, I guess that's where eagles came from. I guess that's where eyes came from. I guess that's where fire came from. Why? Because it's in the infinite. And Ezekiel is saying, I'm looking at all of this, and the best I can do is saying, I've never seen anything like this. This is completely other than what I have frame of reference for. This is completely out of human stuff. And so the best I can do is say, listen, when I saw it, it was like this, and it was like this, and it was like this, and it was like this. So instead of us being like, wow, this is weird, let me pass over this book. It should cause us to be like, wow. And you know what? Here's the sad part. So I was thinking about it. If we saw this, if many of us saw this on a movie, we'd be like, oh, that's pretty cool. Look at, look at the visual effects. Look at the way they came up with. We'd be like, wow, look at that. Did you see that? You know why? <laughs> because we get more enamored with the things that get thrown at us on a screen than the infinite God who has painted a picture of what he's like. Our worship and our awe and our wonder of the majesty of God is low because we get more wowed by what can get put on a screen. And here's the picture of God and his glory and his wonder. And all Ezekiel can say is, I've never seen anything like this. This is God revealing his glory, his presence, the fullness of who he is. This is God revealing himself to me in this vision. And the best I got is it's kind of like this, and 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 you throw it all together, and that's kind of what it's like. And then if you look in the book of Revelation, so last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1. We see this also in this third kind of revelation, the revelation of Jesus, because we see Jesus here. We see the glory of Jesus. In Revelation 1, verse 9, it says, I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then he says, verse 12, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Okay, so notice he sees something that he's seen every day. These are seven golden lampstands. He knows what this is. But then he says, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like 
blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his, vo- out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. John sees a vision of Jesus resurrected in his glory. And he's got things that he can relate to, but he still says there's, there's some otherness to this. It's like, it's like, he's like this, he's like this, he's like this, he's like this. But in other words, John is saying, there's nothing on earth that I can fully say this is what it is. You know, you, you, you watch like a crime show and there's like people, you know, oh, did you see it? What, what, what was the person? How was the, describe the person. Oh, they had a hat and they had two eyes and they had brown hair. They were 5'9", you know, probably 160, pretty strong build, the color of their skin. They're not like, you know what, well, it was kind of like, you know, their eyes were, were kind of like, I've never seen it before. You know, I, I heard their voice, but I've never heard a voice like that. You know, the color of their skin, I, I've never seen skin that looks like that. Their clothes, they had some pretty cool clothes on. I've never seen clothes. It was kind of like that. You don't hear that. There's descriptions. Why? Because they're describing similar finite things. But John, the best he can do is it's, Jesus was kind of like this, and he was like this, and he was like this. There's nothing that is able to fully describe what Jesus is like in his glory. You probably heard the Indian parable of the blind guys with the elephant. They meet him for the first, they, they come across an elephant for the first time. And all of them have different parts of the elephant and no one is able to fully describe. You know, so you have this guy here with the tusk. Oh, it's a spear. Guy who's got the trunk, it's a snake. Guy's got the leg, it's a tree. Guy on top, he's got the ear. Oh, it's a fan. <laughs> you know, Cleopatra kind of fan. A guy who's touching the, the body of the, of the elephant, it's a wall. Guy's got the tail, it's a rope. Why? None of them had the full picture of what he was like, of what this was. And and this is what God has to do with us. He has to reveal himself, and the best we can do is, (coughs) excuse me, the, the best we can do is, God is, he's like this, and he's like this, and he's like this, and he's like this. Because he is infinite, and we are finite. See, so when the infinite rubs up against the finite, Scripture is full of these descriptions of like, to give us a picture, to give us a vision of what God is like. So if this is the case, then how do we know? We want to bring it down to this. How do we know this infinite God? What does it take? What are the essentials of knowing God? I believe there's at least three. I want to give you three. The first 
is humility. Humility. James 4, 6 quotes a verse that is used multiple times in Scripture. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In that specific passage, he's talking about the Holy Spirit who lives in us, the Holy Spirit who is infinite, who lives in us who are finite, being jealous when we sin. Why? Because we are taking the infinite and we are bringing the infinite down to finite. It requires us, in order to live in a way that we acknowledge the infinite in our finiteness, it requires us coming with a spirit of humility. It requires us coming and saying, you are God and I am not. It requires us saying, you are infinite and I am finite. It requires us coming sometimes and being like, I don't fully understand all of this. You are bigger than I can comprehend, but I receive what I can understand of you. It requires also faith. If you're in Revelation, if you would come back just a a few pages, you'll have John and then you'll have uh, three, first, second, and third John, first and second Peter. And you'll come to James and then you'll come to Hebrews, to Hebrews chapter 11. We were in Hebrews 1 before, but in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 6, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen, finite, was not made out of what was visible, infinite. Verse 6, And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We need faith to be able to know this God. There should be things that we go, I just don't understand that. (laughs) There should be things that make our minds go, ah, I don't know. There should be things that we don't have answers for. You know, in our day, there is such a battle for truth that I fear sometimes we double down when the best answer is, you know what, I don't fully know. I know this, and I know this, and I know this, and I know this, but some of this, I I just don't fully, there's a gap here, and I don't fully get that, but you know what, I believe it. And I believe it because God is infinite and I'm finite. God is high and exalted and lifted up. He's bigger. He knows everything. And I don't. And, and that unsettles me. And we could be honest. There are things that are going to unsettle us. But 
that's a good place to be. Because it's in the unsettling, it's in the mystery, it's in the gaps where we don't have it all figured out, that God has a way of encountering us that we just go, whoa. I don't know it all, but you know what? I know he's real. And I'm in awe of him. So faith is needed. And then the last essential, I believe, is obedience. John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. See, when God is, when we recognize him as infinite, and us as finite, when his commands are given to us, it really isn't a, well, God, you know, maybe. Maybe I'll get around to it, or, yeah, it's a good suggestion. But he's infinite, I'm finite. My answer really needs to be yes. Because I have to trust that he knows what he's doing. He knows the right way. His ways are right and his ways are good. Which leads us to this last idea, and then we'll wrap up with this. Our only response, really, when we get a vision and we come to understand who God is, is worship. That passage that we read in Ezekiel, I intentionally didn't read the very end of it. The very end of it says this. So that whole idea, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And Ezekiel says, when I saw it, I fell face down. And I heard the voice of one speaking. He fell down in worship. He fell down because he recognized he was in the presence of one who was much more than he was. John's reaction when he saw Jesus in Revelation 1 is very similar. After all, that this is what he was like and like and like. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. Jesus died on the cross. And behold, I am alive forever and ever, the resurrection. And I hold the keys to death and to Hades, hell. What was John's response? Worship. See, when we, when we get in the presence and we recognize the presence of the infinite God, and we in our finiteness encounter the infinite, it brings us to worship. I would say there's been two ways that, it, that I've experienced it. This is not prescriptive in the sense that this is what it has to be for you. But this is how it's been for me. There have been times when I have just been in the presence of the Lord in these, in these ways, in the presence of the infinite God. And there's been something that he's revealed to me. And it's so overwhelming in a good way that all I can do is laugh. Because I begin 
when I'm in those places, when I'm in those places of prayer and worship and just being quiet before the Lord and being in his word, and I, I begin to understand who he is, like when I begin to understand who, who he is, the infinite God, and who I am, and then I begin to understand that he says things like, don't be afraid, stand up, it's okay. When I begin to get these things, there are those times when I just start laughing because it's like, this is too good to be true. This is just too good to be true. But it's true. When you encounter the infinite and you understand the infinite compared to the finite, it's like, whoa, man, this is, this is like, this is crazy. This is crazy, crazy beyond anything I've ever seen or experienced in this earth. It's crazy. And all I can do is just laugh for joy. And then there's been the other times when I've just been so overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord and all I can do is just, sometimes you just sit. And the presence of the Lord is just heavy. The finite, the infinite has come to the finite, to the level that I can take without crushing me. And you just sit there and you're just like, oh, there's no words that you can speak. Except just sit there and just bask in it because you fall down as like dead almost. And it's just like, oh. What can I do? What can I do? That's descriptive of the ways when I've encountered the finite beyond just, yeah, I know about God, but really encounters presence, the glory. It's the glory of Jesus and the glory in Ezekiel. It's the presence, the weight. The glory is the presence and the weight of God. When you encounter that, for me, it's just been (laughs) crazy. Crazy good and oh. Sometimes it leads me to, oh, woe is me. I'm undone, Isaiah 6. And he does a work of cleansing. Does a work of speaking and commissioning out of it. But it's when the infinite encounters the finite. And friends, I I long for us as his people not to just kind of have this thing where he comes where we kind of bring him down and we, we figure God out. Oh, God, forgive us if we ever try to figure him out. If we ever try to get such a neat theology that we've got all the I's dotted and the T's crossed and we can, we can defend every question that anybody ever has. Let me be people of the glory, people of the presence, that even when there's things that we say, you know, I just don't know, that's a good question. I haven't figured that one out. That one's above my pay grade. <laughs> that we could say, oh, but I've encountered him. And I want you to encounter him. People can argue with you all day long, but if they have encountered with the presence and the glory of Jesus, that's what wins the arguments. And it's not about winning the argument. It's just about people encountering Jesus, encountering the glory of God. When you encounter the glory the questions begin to fall away. They might still be there. You can still wrestle with them. That's good. But you can come to that place and be like, oh, okay, I know. I got all these questions still, and there's things that he's here and I'm here, and I don't know. But I know he's here, and I know he's real, and I know what he says is true. To what I've understood, it's true. Because I've encountered the presence. The presence. When you encounter the presence, you're changed. So friends, may we be people 
we stand in wonder and awe and worship. The truth leads us to encounter and will lead us to worship. We're going to sing in a moment one of those ways that we can just respond. But I hope in no way it's any of my words but I, I believe God is doing a work in our midst right now and in this season where he's, he's stirring in us a desperation for more than what we've had before. And some of that just means he's, we've got to step out of the boxes that we've had him in so that we can encounter him. We can let him knock it down so that he can rebuild it in a new, fresh way. But always so that we encounter him, so that we know him. And so if any of this is resonating with you, I I just want to give you a moment just to pour out your heart to God. Say, God, I want to know, I want to keep you in your right place. You're the infinite one, I'm finite, but would you reveal more of yourself to me in a way that will cause me to come to worship? (laughs) It may make me laugh when I come to understand who you are and the fact that you've come to me. Or it may just cause me to stand or to sit or to kneel or to lay in wonder and in awe of you. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. You're here with us. You've been with us. I trust you've been speaking to us. Believe you have. I thank you for that. And I pray that you would open our eyes and that you would lead us to encounter. And Holy Spirit, that you would stir up that you would stir up hunger and desperation for what we have not encountered with you yet. That we would have a fresh view of the infinite God in our finiteness. But yet rejoicing and standing in awe and wonder at the ways that you have revealed and are revealing yourself to us. So I pray for new revelation. New understanding. There's always more to understand of you. So Father, I pray you would hear the cries of your people even now. Spirit of living God, would you fall fresh? Responding to the heart's cry of your people. Lord, I even pray for anyone here today who has never encountered you, Jesus. As King of kings and Lord of lords, as Savior. Recognizing the the infinite God for who you are and They're recognizing themselves in their finiteness. But Jesus, I thank you that you're the one who says, I was dead, but I am alive. And I'm the one who holds the keys to death 
into Hades, to hell. Don't be afraid. Come to me. Stand up. And so Jesus, even for the first time, if there are any here today or who are watching who have not trusted you as Savior and as Lord, would you encounter them? Would you grant them grace to respond in faith? Recognizing that in our human brokenness, we, we can't make our way to you, God, but that you, in your mercy and compassion and love, have sent Jesus, the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of, his, of your being to come and to die a horrific death on the cross. Fully human, yet fully God bearing our sin, dying in our place, taking the punishment that we deserve. But being resurrected three days later (laughs) to hold the keys to death and Hades and to offer salvation and forgiveness for all who would have faith and would trust you, Jesus. So do that work, I pray, if there are any in this space right now. Grant that gift of salvation. Receiving the infinite God. (laughs) Oh, Lord. What wonder it is when we behold you. And when we get how great a salvation you have provided. We worship you. Receive our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would please rise to join us in this closing song of worship, um, but also please feel free to um, adjust your stance as you so feel led. Um, And our altars are always open, but just a reminder that You're welcome to approach the altar if that's where the Lord is leading you.